closing of the book of Acts. Um, we are going to look at Acts chapter 28 this morning. Acts chapter 28. And uh, then after uh, we finish Acts this week, we will next week, hopefully uh, the plan is to launch into a uh, series through the book of Jonah. And then after that, uh, we hope to go into the book of Hebrews. So this week we will um, complete Acts 28. So I'm going to read for you the chapter, Acts 28, from the English Standard Version this morning. Acts 28. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw that the creature was hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, though he has escaped from the sea. Justice has now allowed him, uh, has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained, or entertained us um, hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had, had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail on the ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with twin gods as figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Rigium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Putieli. There we found brothers, and we uh, were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they examined me, they, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved or uh, did not believe. And disagreement among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. 
He lived there two whole years as his own, at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This mission or this uh, message is called Mission Accomplished. Young William Wilberforce was discouraged one night in the early 1790s after another defeat in his 10-year battle against the slave trade in England. He was tired and frustrated. He opened his Bible and he began to leaf through it. A small piece of paper fell out and fluttered to the floor. It was a letter written by John Wesley shortly before his death. Wilberforce read it again. Unless the divine power has raised you up, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing that abominable practice of slavery, which is the scandal of religion of England and of human nature. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and of devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them together stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go in the name of God and in the power of his might. In Acts 1 and 2, we read in the first book, O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Luke records that the first book he wrote dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. The work that Jesus began signifies a beginning but not an end. And the work is to be carried out by his disciples, mainly that they are to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And now we fast forward to the end of Acts and we read about Paul in Rome in Acts chapter 28 Verses 30 and 31, it says he lived there two whole years at his own expense and he welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. On one hand, the mission is accomplished. We have read about the establishment of the church in Jerusalem. We have read how the church grew. We have read how Paul, the most unlikely man who persecuted Christians, became an apostle and how he took the gospel to the Gentiles. We have read how the Lord promised to get Paul to Rome. And we now read that in Rome, Paul is proclaiming the gospel unhindered. So on one hand, mission accomplished. But Luke ends Acts kind of like abruptly. It's, it's open-ended. The story must go on. The followers of Christ have been carrying out the mission for over 2,000 years. And yet it is still not accomplished. We know that one day in heaven, every tribe, every tongue, and every people, every nation will be represented. Scripture tells us that. And though we have seen great advances in a worldwide missionary endeavor in recent years, the mission must go on. And now before you say, surely the whole world has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ by now, let me just tell you that when country boundaries are considered, there are about 16,000. 600 people groups and of those groups 6,700 of them are considered unreached when we say reached and unreached we mean that less than two percent when we talk about unreached less than two percent of them are Christian over 42 percent of the world's population lives in these 6,700 people groups and they have no community of believing Christians. Now let me go just a little bit further. There are over 3,000 ethnic people groups that have no missionaries, no outreach, no Christian material, and no Bibles. All in all, this translates to the fact that over 2 billion people have never heard the salvation message. Two billion have never heard. We are called to go. We are called to join the Lord in accomplishing his purpose that he would be glorified amongst the nations. 
So on one hand, we see mission accomplished and Paul made it to Rome, but we also see the mission must go on. And so the question is, how will this mission be accomplished? How will we, as followers of Christ, accomplish his mission? I want us to see two things in this passage of Scripture. First, I want us to see that God preserves, provides for, and empowers his servants to accomplish his commission. And secondly, his commission is accomplished through obedience to the proclamation of the gospel by his servants. And then I added a third point late last week, and that's this. Basically, what must I do? So let's look at the first point. God preserves, provides for, and empowers his servants to accomplish his commission. They learned here in Acts 28 that they were on the island of Malta, which is a small island. It's roughly 18 miles long and 8 miles wide. It is about 60 miles away from Sicily. The natives on the island showed them unusual kindness. They got a, a fire together and they welcomed them on the island. It was rainy and cold and the men were worn out and the natives are caring for them. I mean, they just were shipwrecked. They had swam to shore and these natives are taking care of them. And now that we, we, we see in uh, first in verse uh, in the first 16 verses and really throughout the book of Acts that God is preserving his servants that he's providing for them and he's empowering them and we've we've seen this throughout the book of Acts and we see it right here in these first 16 verses first God pre preserves his servants to accomplish his commission Paul certainly can't be accused of being lazy or not wanting to do manual labor we know that he was a tent maker and here we see him not just sitting there waiting for everybody else to gather wood and be like, oh, you know, build a fire for the apostle Paul so I can warm up. He goes out and he gathers up some wood. I just want to pause and say this really goes against uh, those that think pastoring does not require any getting dirty of the hands. I have uh, seen people that think that pastors don't know how to do manual labor some probably don't, but uh, uh, those that think that pastoring means no manual labor, they need to get a clue. Anyway, Paul does some manual labor here. Paul is collecting sticks for the fire, and he apparently did not notice that a viper was in the sticks. Now, we don't know why he didn't notice. Uh, perhaps the snake was cold. Because it's winter time, if you remember from last week, we talked about that. And maybe the snake's cold and stiff. Maybe Paul just couldn't see. We, we think he had trouble with his eyesight. But Paul picked it up. And as he got close to the fire, the snake warms up, as snakes probably do when they get close to a fire. And the snake decides he doesn't want to go in the fire. And so he bites Paul. It says he latched on to him. And Paul, seemingly calmly, just says he shook the snake off into the fire. And uh, I don't know what that scene looked like. I have no idea. I like to imagine it. Like the snake comes out and bites Paul. And Paul like just looks at, hmm, a snake. I don't know. I don't know what it, how it happened. But the snake bit Paul. And the natives decide that Paul, he has to be a murderer because even though he escaped from the sea, he's finally going to get justice served from some God that they served. And so they, they waited and they watched him fearing that Paul's going to swell up and he's going to fall down and he's going to be dead. But nothing happened. And so they changed their mind and they decide that Paul must be a God. Now, there are currently no poisonous snakes on the island of Malta. However, that does not mean that there were never any poisonous snakes it's possible that there was poisonous snakes on the island that and they have gone extinct it would seem that the natives were familiar with what a bite from a poisonous snake would do which is why they were watching Paul regardless the story is being shared so that we understand how God preserves his servants we've seen this theme throughout the last several chapters of Acts how God has continu continually preserved Paul 
That the gospel would be preached and now he's bitten by a snake and you think a snake's going to stop God? Do we think this viper is going to somehow stop God from doing what he wants to do in the life of Paul? Paul had just been shipwrecked. shipwrecked. It's going to take more than a snake bite. God's sovereign plan is for Paul to preach the gospel in Rome. That's the plan. And there's nothing that's going to stop it. There's nothing that's going to prevent it. No shipwreck, no island, no person, no poisonous snake. Nothing can thwart the plans of God. God's servant will accomplish what God has them to do. Now, I'm not saying go out and get bit by a snake. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we're going to start handling snakes in church here. That's not what I'm saying. I'm simply saying that God preserves his servant to accomplish his commission. And so, after winter, the folks set sail for Rome on a different ship with this figurehead of twin gods. Twin gods are Castor and Pollux. Castor and Pollux were the patron saints for sailors. The, the Gemini twin sons of Zeus. Ancient mariners considered seeing the Gemini constellation during a storm a good omen for the journey. And it's quite possible that Luke mentions this detail for us to contrast the pagan superstition of good luck with the truth that God preserves his servants luck had nothing to do with it luck had nothing to do with being shipwrecked on the island luck had nothing to do with Paul getting bit by a snake and shaking it off in the fire luck had nothing to do with the providence of God taking place to protect his servants they will get to Rome because that is God's plan plain and simple it's not by luck it's by God preserving the Apostle Paul to get him where he wants him. And he will get there. And so we, we see that God preserves his servants to accomplish his commission. And then we see that God provides for his servants to accomplish his commission. Let's not overlook the fact that throughout the book of Acts, God gave Paul provision. And once again, in the final chapter of Acts. We see it again. In this case, it's in an unusual way. Because these natives on Malta are unusually hospitable. The chief, Publius, entertained them for three days. Remember, there are 276 men. Also, certainly they had help in finding lodging until winter was over. Furthermore, when they left the natives the, the, the natives honored them greatly, putting on board whatever was needed for them to go on the journey. Fast forward to verses 13 and 14, and we see that they came to Putioli, which was south of Rome, and they found some brothers to stay with for seven days. Then look how God provides more encouragement for Paul. Christians came from as far away as Appius, which was 44 miles from Paul, and they came from three taverns, which was 33 miles from Paul. This wasn't like, hey, let's get in our car and drive 44 miles. I mean, this was a long journey for these people to come and be with Paul. It says, Paul, thank God and took courage. God provides for his servants to accomplish his commission. Remember, Paul's a prisoner. On board a prison ship. And all these people come to welcome him. God also provided for Paul even further. By allowing him to stay by himself. With the soldier that guarded him. It says that he was allowed to stay by himself. How do you think Paul stayed by himself? How do you do that? Do you think that they just gave a prisoner like a, a little stipend? Here's, here's some money. Go stay by yourself. You know, because they were just really kind folks. Is that how it happened? No, not likely. What is more likely is that he was living off the generosity of the Philippian church and others that had supplied for his financial needs. Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 and 18. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except 
you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The Philippian church cared for Paul. They gave Financially, God provides for his servants to accomplish his will. That's not unique. This is what God does. And oh, by the way, just so we're not confused, God uses his people oftentimes to provide for his servants to accomplish his commission. Just like in the case of the Apostle Paul, having his needs met by the Philippian church, God uses churches And he uses people today to meet the needs of pastors and missionaries to help spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can tell you from personal experience that that pastor or missionaries that, that, that are worried about how they're going to pay their bills or put food on their table, they're not worried about how they're going to spread the gospel. I say this just to say we can learn from this that we should meet the financial needs of those that God has entrusted to lead us. We should find ways to meet the needs. God provides for his servants to accomplish his commission. Thirdly, God empowers his servants to accomplish his commission. Even though Luke was a doctor, God used Paul to heal several people on the island of Malta. The first person he healed was the father of Chief Publius who was sick with a fever and had dysentery. And after Paul healed the father of Publius and the rest of the people who had diseases also came and they were cured. Certainly this gave Paul and other Christians an opportunity to share about Christ. And so far we've seen in the book of Acts Paul beaten. We've seen him nearly killed in the midst of riots. We've seen him thrown into prison at times discouraged, shipwrecked on an island, bitten by a snake. And he's not walking around moaning and groaning and complaining about how terrible his life is. You notice we never read anything about Paul going, oh man, Lord, I just want to give up, man. My life is horrible. We don't read that. He's not defeated and wondering why all this had to happen to me. Paul's not running around going, why me, God? Why Why is all this going on in my life? Instead, he is empowered and he's out witnessing and he's out ministering to people. Imagine the scene. Everything Paul had gone through would have crushed most people. I mean, if we went through half of what Paul's gone through, we would have given up and like, I'm not doing this anymore. This is not worth it. And yet Paul is marching forth, proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he refuses to stop. As we will see in a few minutes, he continues to proclaim proclaim Christ wherever he's at. Now, I'm not saying that we will be like Paul and we're going to be able to heal people and and. As I've explained before, I believe the gift of healing like this, like we see here, was limited to the apostles. However, I do believe that God still does miracles and often they are focused around the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What I want us to understand is that God empowers his servants to accomplish his commission. That may mean he empowers you through some suffering or he empowers you through some pain. He empowers you through some tragedy. He empowers us to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we've seen that God preserves, that he provides for, that he empowers his servants to accomplish his commission. Now let's see point number two, and that's this. God's commission is accomplished through obedience to the proclamation of the gospel By his servants. Now I know that's a long point, okay? But it's an important one. God's commission is accomplished through obedience to the proclamation of the gospel by his servants. It's interesting as we read through this chapter that Luke never once mentions that Paul preached the gospel while on Malta. He also does not report anyone being converted on the island of Malta either. Some have said that is because Paul did not preach on the island, though I find that very difficult to believe since Paul never missed an opportunity to preach the gospel. So I don't think that we can assume that Paul was silent for three months on the island. Luke perhaps was quickly trying to move towards the conclusion in Rome, and therefore he omitted Paul preaching on Malta. But honestly, 
we don't know why it would be omitted. However, we do notice that when Paul arrived in Rome, he summoned all of the Jewish leaders to explain to them why he was a prisoner. And do you notice their knowledge of Christianity? Their knowledge of Christianity is a secondhand knowledge. And it's a negative viewpoint of Christianity. We get down to verse 22, and it says, With regards to this sect, referring to Christians, with regards to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. However, they were open to hearing what Paul had to say. And on the day they appointed for him to speak, Paul spends the entire day from morning until evening testifying to them about the kingdom of God. Now, you think we have church long? Morning till evening. This is not to say that he spent the whole time talking about heaven when it says explaining them the kingdom of God. When the scripture references the kingdom of God like this, it is reference to or referring to not only Christ's sovereign future reign on the earth, but also the gospel which brings people under his reign. Verse 23 says that he was trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets, which seems to indicate that there was probably some back and forth going on. Paul was trying to convince them that Jesus is God's promised Messiah. We don't know exactly what Paul said or exactly what verses he used. Most assuredly, he probably took them to the Old Testament sacrificial system uh, that we find in the book of Moses or in the law of Moses. Showed them that the sacrifices were were pointing to Jesus. Perhaps he went to Psalm chapter sixteen to show them the truth of the resurrection. Maybe he went to Psalm chapter twenty-two to describe the death and crucifixion of Jesus Christ and how it was prophesied centuries before it even ever happened. Before the crucifixion was even a known means of execution. Maybe he went to Isaiah chapter fifty-three and showed them a detailed description of the death of Christ before it ever happened. We don't know what he did. What we do know is that some were convinced of what he said. And what we do know is others did not believe. And it says for this reason, there was a disagreement between the groups of people. And church, this has happened more than once. When Paul shares the gospel, in fact, I preached the sermon not long ago talking about the gospel divides. And that is what has happened here. Some people believed Others did not believe, and there was a disagreement. There was a division. However, before they left, Paul gave one last shot. And he quotes for them from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Isaiah had just experienced a vision of God, exalted on his throne, and he's commissioned to preach. And the Lord speaks these words to Isaiah, warning him that the people of Israel have hardened hearts. Six times this text from Isaiah is quoted in the New Testament. Three of them deal with the parable of the sower, where Jesus is giving an explanation of why he spoke in parables in order to conceal the truth from those who would not believe and yet reveal the truth to those who would believe. It's quoted in the Gospel of John, where John is, is driving home a point that if the people close their hearts to God's word through his messengers, then the Lord will harden their hearts even further. Israel's history is riddled with rejection of the prophets and even eventually the killing of, of the Son of God. Which would lead to the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. And the Jewish people would be scattered for 19 centuries. Paul is using this passage to support him taking the gospel to the Gentiles because he says, as he says in verse 28, they will listen. What we have understood is that Paul remained obedient to the proclamation of the gospel. And God's commission was accomplished because all peoples heard. Paul was a willing servant to Israel. Or a willing servant to the Lord. Israel should have been carrying the gospel forth to all the nations, but they didn't do it, did they? 
They wouldn't carry the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul did it. They failed because of their idolatry and sin. A hardened heart may stop a sinner from responding to the gospel, but it will never stop God's purpose. God wanted the gospel to go to all nations, and he still wants it to go forth to all nations. He wants his servants to willingly obey and spread the gospel. There is a great mystery in that sinners are always responsible for their unbelief. But if they repent and place their faith in the Lord, it is not by their doing, but only because God has granted them to be able to do so. That's the mystery. In other words, every sinner that ever goes to hell does so because they want to be there. They are solely responsible for their unbelief. But if they come to faith in Christ, it is solely because of God who has allowed it to take place so that no one can boast that they earned their salvation in the first place. The warning that Paul gives not only applies to Israel, but it applies not only as a nation, but it applies to individuals then and now. One author said this, God's word brings a diagnosis of sin, which is painful to hear and accept. But at the same time, it wounds in order to heal. Once a person deliberately refuses the word, there comes a point when he is deprived of the capacity to receive it. It is a stern warning to those who trifle with the gospel. We can learn a lot from Paul's quote of Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. But the main thing we learn that unbelievers willfully and deliberately reject the gospel. They willfully and deliberately reject the gospel. Look what he says. They heard, but they don't understand. They see, but they don't perceive. Why does this happen? Well, like Paul says from Isaiah, their hearts have grown dull. Interestingly enough, that is translated to become dull as to become fat. That's the correct translation. Their hearts have become fat. It is the idea of eating senseless, always living for what gratifies the flesh and giving a heavier and heavier and never uh, getting heavier and heavier and never doing anything about it, just senselessly going on and not caring and not doing anything, gratifying the flesh. So what, it is, what is being said here is that the unbeliever becomes so focused on the flesh that they refuse to understand God and instead only desire the things of this world. And they say, I don't care about the things of God. I only want to gratify my flesh. That's all I want to do. And they just keep doing it over and over and over and over again. That person who rejects Christ is given over to just punishment. That's what it is saying. It is tragic to see people that hear the gospel of Jesus Christ over and over and over again and reject it over and over and over again and watch God give them over to their hardness of heart as they continually harden their heart to the things of God. They hear the gospel. They hear that they're a sinner. They know that they're a sinner and they, and, and they never surrender to Christ. They know what it means. But they're not willing to surrender their way of life and reject, reject that old way of life. However, we have to understand that even though the Jews rejected the gospel, Paul remained obedient to the proclamation of the gospel, which is why he said he took it to the Gentiles. Church, we have to be like Paul. We have to be like Paul. We have to be completely committed to God's purpose in the Great Commission. Just as Paul proclaimed the gospel wherever he went, and just like he, he told uh, the folks in the city of Corinth, the many people in the city of Corinth, that they needed to come to Christ. Paul went on speaking to these people who would eventually come to faith. We know that God has some people from every nation because he says so. He says he has people from every nation, every people group that are his chosen people. 
We have to be committed to getting the gospel out. We have to be committed to get it not just in our city, not just in our state, not just in the United States of America. We must cross the ocean. We must go to those who have not heard. We must tell them Paul was in chains, but the gospel was not chained. The very last word in the book of Acts by Luke is the word unhindered. That's the very last word. The word of God is not imprisoned. The word of God is not in chains. The word of God is unhindered. This is why Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You ask Paul, Paul, why would you go through it? Why would you be shipwrecked and beaten and bitten by snakes? And why would you go through all of these things that you went through? And he answers it, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may obtain salvation. Luke just abruptly ends the book of Acts. We don't know the outcome of the trial. We don't know about the rest of Paul's life. We know that he lived there two years at his own expense. During that time, he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. When Paul's accusers failed to show up in Rome, he was released. Some people think at this time he traveled to Spain because he said he had hoped to go there. He probably visited some of the churches that he had planted. He sent Timothy to Ephesus to correct some issues. He visited Crete, left Titus there to minister to them. And while he was free, he wrote 1 Timothy and Titus. At some point, Paul was arrested again and taken back to Rome. And he anticipated things were not going to end well for him at this time. And while in prison, in Rome, he wrote 2 Timothy, around 67 or 68 A.D., Nero executed the Apostle Paul, who had fought the good fight and finished the course and kept the faith. Paul's mission was accomplished. Mission accomplished. He did what the Lord called him to do. He remained obedient. And church, I can't think of anything worse than coming to the end of my life and thinking, I didn't do what the Lord wanted me to do. Paul's mission accomplished. So I ask you, knowing all this, what must I do? I didn't put what must we do because I want it to be personal. What must I do? If God's commission is accomplished through the obedience to the proclamation of the gospel by his servants. And we are his servants. You say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a servant of the King of Kings, of the Lord of Lords. I'm a follower. I've given my life to Christ. I've placed my faith in Jesus. I know I'm going to heaven. That means that you're a servant. If God's commission is accomplished through the obedience to the proclamation of the gospel by his servants, then we have to say, what am I doing? Am I committed to the commission? Invariably, we hear a message like this, and we oftentimes think that, that, yeah, we need to be committed to the great commission. We need to share the gospel more. We need to reach the nations. We need to be out there telling people about Jesus. You know, and sometimes we hear that message that really stirs us in our hearts, and we're like, we're ready to charge hell with a water pistol. We're ready to go. We're going to go tell people about Jesus. We need to reach the nations. And we walk out of the church and we do nothing about it. We go through our week just like we do every other week. And we do nothing. 
We do the same thing that we do every single week. We get up at the same time. We do the same thing. We go through our day. We ignore people. We do everything that we can possibly do to not spread the gospel. We ignore the fact that God has preserved you, that God has provided for you, that God has empowered you to accomplish His commission, which is to reach people for Christ both locally and worldwide. And, and God has done all of this for us, and we just go through our day thinking, man, Sure is nice to be a Christian. I'm going to go to heaven one day. So I ask you, church, are you doing all you can to accomplish his commission? When was the last time you actually shared the gospel with someone? I don't mean invited them to church. When was the last time you personally shared the gospel with someone? You told someone that Jesus Christ was the only way to heaven year five years ten years never what should you be doing I want to quickly run through what we need to be doing first develop a burden for the lost develop a burden for lost do you have a burden to see lost people come to know Christ as their savior Sometimes we say we do, and that's good language. Oh, I really have a burden for my neighbor. Oh, I really have a burden for this person. It's good to say that, but do we really? Do you have a list of people? Even if it's small, do you have a list of people that you're praying for? You're praying for this person to come to know the Lord? I mean, we make lists of all kinds of people with physical ailments. You know, we have our list that this person has this, and this person broke their leg, and this person has this. We make a huge list of people with physical ailments. How many people are on your list that don't know Jesus as their Savior? You can go to heaven with a broken leg. You can go to heaven if you die of cancer. But you can't go to heaven not knowing Jesus. Which is more important. Who in your family or friends or acquaintances don't know Jesus? Do you have a burden for them? Do you pray for them every day? If our attitude towards those that don't know Jesus, they're dying and going to hell. If our attitude is one of apathy and we just don't care, we're just like, oh, I'll just go through my day like I do every other day. Then we're not like Jesus. Because Jesus had compassion on the lost. He wept over a whole city. It says he looked at Jerusalem and he wept. When was the last time you wept? When was the last time you cried? And said, God, this person doesn't know you. And they need to know. When was the last time you actually shed a tear for somebody that doesn't know Jesus? Do you have a burden for the lost? Secondly, if you struggle sharing the gospel, then get training. If you struggle sharing the gospel, get training. Listen, I don't know any other way to put it. But if you struggle with sharing the gospel, then get some training. It's not that hard to get training. You say, well, well, how am I going to get training? I've walked through the form method from the pulpit. Talk to people about, about their friends or their family, their occupation their religious background, then my testimony. We have gospel tracts that, that you can come say, Pastor, can I, can I get some of those gospel tracts? We got these giant $100 bills, right? They got the Ten Commandments on the back to walk people through the gospel. You can be like, hey, do you take large bills? I don't know. That's what I do sometimes. We got this thing. Ticket to heaven. It tells you to tear it. You can't tear it. It's unterrible. You can give that to someone. We got this IQ test. This is funny. You make people read this. Have them read it. It's an IQ test. Make sure that you know the answer. So you can tell them, no, you were wrong. But anyway, gospel tracts. I got others. Just get, Hey, can I get some of those? If you want to give them to people. We, have, uh, we, we did have the Life on Mission booklets, but I have the Life on Mission book. You can come borrow it from my office. Hey, Pastor, can I read that? There's an app of this very thing. On, that you can download onto your smartphone. 
Just type in Life on Mission. It'll walk you through how to share the gospel using this stuff. You can come and borrow this book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, right here. Just say, hey, can I read that book? There's no excuse. You can go on to Right Now Media, which is like the Netflix of Christian videos. If you don't have an account, just come and say, hey, can you set me up with an account? All I need is your email address. I'll set you up. Just type in evangelism. And there's all kinds of videos that come up. All kinds of training that you can go through. From David Platt to just good stuff. Memorized verses that you need to know in order to lead someone to faith in Christ. We're without excuse. You can't give the excuse, I don't know how. Because just get some training. I can train you in like 10 minutes. Just come into my office at, I don't know where to start, whatever. Thirdly, be informed about world missions. We say that we know we need to take the gospel to the nations, but we're not informed about world missions. Many of us have never left the country on a mission trip. Many of us have never even served on a local mission trip. At the very least, you could go to the Southern Baptist site, imb.org, which stands for International Mission Board. There's training and articles of all kinds of information on world missions. You can go and read until your heart's content. You can go to thejoshuaproject.net and get informed on the people groups of the world and those that are unreached. I would encourage you to be informed on world missions. And if at all possible, I challenge you to take a foreign mission trip. Fourthly, read missionary biographies. Some of you like to read. It's a good idea in some of your reading to fill your mind with some great Christian reading material. Reading some missionary biographies will help you understand that those who have taken the gospel to the remotest parts of the world, it would encourage you to give more to missionary endeavors. Read about people like Jim Elliott and men who gave their lives to take the gospel to the Aka Indians. Read about Adoniram Jefferson. Read about Hudson Taylor. Read about William Carey. Read about Eric Liddell. Read about Amy Carmichael. Read missionary missionary biographies next pray for world missions don't just pray for your lost neighbors and friends don't just pray for America sometimes we're guilty of nationalism we only think that that we only think of America we think that we look at everything through the filters of America 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 we even have like those pictures America and we got the flag Again, you can go on to any number of websites and find a daily prayer. You can go on the IMB website. If you know of a missionary that's on the foreign mission field, subscribe to their newsletter. Pray for world missions. Next, give sacrificially to missionary endeavors. Give sacrificially to missionary endeavors. In July, you have four people from your church going to Haiti that need your support. The International Mission Board had to pull missionaries off the field when David Platt took over as president because they could not afford to fund them on the field. You know, we watched a video um, in our men's group on Wednesday night by Randy Alcorn in the men's study, and we had uh, talked about finances and said, where you invest your treasure that's where your heart will be. Some people have said, show me your checkbook and we'll see what's important to you. If you invest in world missions, your heart will be in it. If you invest, you want to know what's going on. So give sacrificially to missionary endeavors. Lastly, if you can, go. If you can, go. Listen, you don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to be a pastor. 
You don't have to be a full-time missionary. You don't have to be a translator. And you don't have to be a teacher or any of those things to be used by God in mission work. My friend is a missionary doing IT work in a foreign country. Sometimes you can go and build something or you, you just go and help uh, as what they call support personnel. You can say, well, well, I'm too old to go. No, you're not. You think missionary endeavors? Say, well, you're too old or you're too young. Young and old alike are needed. Age is not a limitation. You can't use your age as a, as a limiting factor to not go. Church, listen to me as we read through the scripture. We have to understand. There is no plan B. There is no plan B. We are the plan. That's it. You're the plan and I'm the plan. We are the plan. The Lord has entrusted to us his mission. He said, you're the plan. Go into all the world. And preach the gospel to every creature. You're the plan. We can't say, well, well Lord, is there, is there another plan? We're it. We're the plan to carry out his mission and accomplish it. And the only question is, what are you doing to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth? What are you doing that when you enter into heaven, you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Mission accomplished. What are you doing? I mean, do we really think that some of our Christian life is to come into church on a Sunday and sit in a pew? Do we think that's it? Because if that's, if that's what it is to be a Christian, I don't want any part of it. We're seeking obedience. Will you hear? Mission accomplished. Well done. Good and faithful servant. I don't know how the Lord may have spoken to you today. Maybe you look at the sum total of your life today and you say, I'm not doing what I need to be doing. I'm not sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ like I should be. I'm not thinking of carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth. Maybe this morning you just you need to pray. Maybe you want to come up here and pray, or maybe you want me to pray with you. I'd be glad to do that. You can pray in your, your pew. However the Lord has spoken to you, I pray that you would respond. And maybe this morning you'd say, you know what, I don't even know Jesus as my Savior. And you, you're talking about carrying the gospel. I don't, I don't even know where to start because I don't even know him. I'd be glad to talk with you today. You can come up during the invitation and say something. You can wait till afterwards and, and talk to me. I'd be glad to talk with you. But I want to give you that opportunity. If you feel led to respond this morning, I want to give you that opportunity to respond as we're going to close out in just a moment in a song. Will you bow with me for a time of prayer? Father God, I thank you.